Hello once again, everybody, and thank you for joining me here on this Monday, January 11th edition of ATS Radio. I'm your host, Adam Burke. I'll be joined today by professional better and handicapper Kyle Hunter from huntersportspicks.com. We'll talk about tonight's national championship game between Ohio State and Alabama, give you a couple of prop bets that we like for the game, talk about some of the prop betting strategies that we'll look to employ as we get some more time to go through these things and hopefully as more of these odds are posted. Then the second part of today's show, we'll talk all things college basketball, covering some injuries, some regression signs, fade follow teams, some games for this week. Lots of good stuff coming your way here on today's program. Just like there's lots of good stuff happening over at ATS.io right now. Opening line report up for the divisional round of the NFL playoffs. I got that posted this morning. Got some thoughts on some player props for Ohio State and Alabama. One article for each team. Those went up yesterday at the website. Got some NHL stuff for you as well. The first of my NHL situational betting articles and some division futures stuff over at the website with the NHL season beginning here on Wednesday night. To go along with all the great work the rest of the staff does, covering the the NFL playoffs, covering the national championship game, covering the NBA and college basketball, uh, you'll find everything you could possibly need over at ATS.io. And by extension, you'll find everything you need in the ATS app as well, which you can download in the Google Play Store or in the Apple Store. Full article integration from the website. It's a bet tracker. It's an odd screen. A statistical database in there that will help you handicap the games. Or maybe if you don't want to handicap them for yourselves or want some additional insight and opinions, you can download the premium model, an analytics-based model, $9.99 a week, $19.99 a month. You'll get the selections right there in the ATS app, and then you'll be able to bet them and also make sure you track them in the app as well. So very, very helpful handicapping tool, to say the least. If you search for it in the Play Store, whether that's Google or Apple, search against the spread. That'll give you a better chance at finding it. Or you can just search ATS app and sort of sort through some of the other stuff that's there. I think there are some trucking companies and and some other stuff that, unfortunately, we have the same acronym as. But the easiest thing to do is go to ATS.io, Click on the ATS app link at the top of the page on your mobile device or find it in that side menu. Now, when you click on the button, whether you have an Android device or an iOS device, it will take you right to that spot in the store. Then you can go ahead and download that app. With that, we bring on today's guest. That is professional better and handicapper Kyle Hunter from huntersportspicks.com. And Kyle, how's it going today, man? Going all right, man. A new week. Um, had a really bad weekend on my plays, so that sucked. Took some really bad beats. Had the closing line value, didn't end up with the winners. And as you know, I I, I take it pretty hard because I want my clients to win uh, pretty badly. So a little bit of a rough weekend, certainly, but uh, it's a brand new week and uh, I'm going to try to turn over that page. Well, and, and you know, it's important to keep in mind, and I know you know this, and it's it's definitely easier said than done in a lot of ways, but for the listeners that are out there, whether they're subscribers of yours or whether they're people that are in the same boat, beating the closing number, getting a lot of closing line value, and the game's not working out, frankly, that's all that we can do. You know, all we can do is get the best of the number that we possibly can, hope the game works out the way we expect it to, hope the game works out in our favor, but all we can really control is getting the best of that number. And it is the best indicator we have of long-term success. And you have been a long-term successful handicapper across multiple sports, including your market entry points where you've gotten a lot of closing line value. So I have no doubts that it will turn around for you. And for any of our listeners that are in the same boat, it's the most important thing you can do here in this industry. I know people are going to say it's to pick winners. Yeah, we all want to do that. But the best thing you can do is get the best of the number and give yourself the best chance and hope that it works out. Sometimes it will, sometimes it won't. But uh, and I know how hard you work at this, and I also know how good you are from a market entry standpoint that it'll turn around, and it'll turn around very soon. Well, I appreciate that, and I do agree. You know, I'm not worried about the long run. I worry more about the the people who buy in for the short term and, and um, you know, they, they catch the really bad weekend and stuff like that. But um, we know that that's part of it. You know, this, it's not, uh, without risk and, and it is gambling still. So, you know, if you get the best of the number and, um, have five or six picks and you have two unders go into overtime and lose like that, or you take an underdog that goes into overtime and doesn't cover, 
Um, I've had a lot of that this year. I haven't won a game in overtime this year, and I've won, I've lost a couple underdogs in overtime and and three or four unders. So, I'll tell you what, whenever I win an an over in overtime, I, I'm going to have a little bit of a party. I, I think that's uh, it's I'm overdue. Yeah, no, I think that's definitely true. I mean, you know, somebody who I greatly respect in the NHL markets, one of the sharpest, really handicappers across the board, uh, handicappers and betters. I know a couple of years ago in the NHL, he lost like every shootout, like mm-hmm. every overtime and shootout game. And it's like, you know, oh, I don't, what am I supposed to do about that? <laughs> right. Like, but, you know, there's nothing you can really do about that, especially if you have to try to win a game twice. You know, you get that under that's there in regulation, and then you got to hope that overtime is boring and nothing really happens. It's a very challenging thing, but, you know, again, uh, this is also, and not to go too far down the rabbit hole or get off on a tangent here, but, you know, as you mentioned, you know, you sort of have the hot hand theory when it comes to people buying picks from, you know, uh, professional handicappers and all of that. And I think it's a really important reminder that this is a long-term business. I mean, you know, we see all these stories nowadays in the mainstream media on social media of, somebody winning this lottery ticket parlay or somebody winning this, you know, player prop parlay or or game prop parlay or something like that. And yeah, those things are cool and congratulations to those people. But for every five or 10 that get mainstream run, there are thousands of them that lose and never come close. So this is not a get rich quick business. This thing is a grind. And, And, you know, obviously you and I both know that being in the industry day in and day out, but for the listeners out there, you're going to have bad runs. You're going to have really good runs too, but this is not a short-term get rich quick scheme and it it really never will be. I totally agree with that. And I I think that, you know, if you're looking for a short-term thing, I think you only want to see, you know, what kind of analysis does this person give you? What kind of, you know, write-ups and, and uh, what kind of market entry do they have? Because if you're just looking for a week or a weekend or something like that to see if somebody's good or bad, or if you're good or bad at this, um, it's not uh, sufficient enough. Honestly, even a month isn't really good enough either. And, uh, you know, it, it, this is really a long-term game. And um, in the long run, if you're beating the number consistently, you're going to do well, like you said. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll have some uh, good runs as well coming up. And uh, I'm just hoping it's pretty soon. But uh, I have to say, looking forward to uh, talking the college football title game here and I'm going to give a mention to the Browns for their nice win over the Steelers last night. I know you had to be pretty excited about that one. That was fun. I, you know, I, I, I don't know what to do with myself. Like, you know, you and I talked about on last week's show with Ohio State's win over Clemson and, and how much that meant for a variety of different reasons. You know, shoving one up Davo's ass was certainly nice and, you know, getting revenge from last year's game and, and all that. And, and I greatly enjoyed watching that semifinal game. And then, there were some points of puckering. I, I promise you that, but you know, for the Browns to finally win a playoff game and to do it over Pittsburgh and to do it. I mean, there were no fans there, but also to do it, you know, in a place where they hadn't won in you know, 17 years or whatever it was. Uh, it was fun. It was just, it was such a breath of fresh air. And it's just, I don't know. We'll see what happens tonight. I, maybe the universe has to correct itself and the Buckeyes are going to lose by 70, but I don't know, man. It was fun. And, uh, you know, I, I know a lot of, a lot of friends of mine, you know, phone calls with their, with their fathers after the game or their brothers or whatever else. And, you know, they're playing with house money now. So, you know, whatever happens here in this game against Kansas city, uh, frankly, I, I'm not worried about it. You know, I mean, they're free rolling at this point, as far as I'm concerned and they give it their best shot and and we'll see what happens there. But uh, I will take this one a lot more seriously tonight between Ohio state and Alabama we don't need to tell people this because most of our listeners have been loyal for a while. Both Kyle and I are Ohio state fans. We will have a very vested emotional interest in the Buckeyes, but we are always impartial with our analysis of Ohio state here on the show. In fact, to the point last week where I said, I liked Alabama in the game. That was around eight, eight and a half. Now we're at pretty much nine across the board here, Kyle. And interestingly enough, the total's moving down. You can even find some 74s in the global market. A lot of 74 and a half and 75s out there. So the influential betters like the under, and it seems like, you know, more of the money is still on the Alabama side. Yeah, as far as um, this game, I have to say that, you know, as far as making any kind of big wagers or anything to try to finish off the season with a bang, I, I don't think you should do it on the game line or the total here. Um, this is really a sharp number. 
I'm going to have two leans in this game. I'm going to lean Ohio State, and I'm going to lean over the total. I know that you should like the under in a title game like this, and I think that some professional bettors are just going to take the under because, you know, you have to take under 76 or something like that. But this is the number one and number two offense in terms of efficiency in the country. And I'm not sure who's going to get stops here. You know, I mean, who's going to come up with a big stop? Like I said, I'm not running to bet an over at this kind of number, but I think there's going to be a lot of big plays in this one. We know Bama is a big play offense and Ohio state has 28 plays of 30 yards or more in seven games. So Ohio state is a definitely a big play offense. In fact, per game, they have more big plays than, than does Alabama. So I think there's going to be a lot of explosive plays in this game. As far as my lean here on the side, I'm going to lean Ohio State. I know I said last week um, my initial thought was to lean to Alabama. I wouldn't say I've switched that much because it was a slight lean in both direction um, uh, last week toward Alabama and this week toward Ohio State. I think that this kind of profiles as a game that's a a high-scoring game that's back and forth. The question is whether Ohio State can keep up because – I don't think either one of us think that Ohio State's going to shut down Bama in any kind of way. So I think Alabama's going to score their points. The question is, do you think Ohio State can be able to score quite a few? And so long as COVID isn't an issue and Justin Fields is healthy, and I will say, I think that's the single biggest thing that makes me a bit worried about leaning Ohio State here is that there are more unknowns with Ohio State than there are with Alabama. But I feel like Ohio State, if they play anywhere close to what that level was against Clemson, Plus nine is a pretty, pretty high price point for Ohio State. Yeah, I mean, you know, the initial thought process for me in, in looking at the Alabama side of things was, you know, this line opened in that seven, seven and a half range, which is where Ohio State and Clemson was. And I understand you have to give Ohio State some credit, not just for beating Clemson, but the manner in which they did. Now, also, too, you have to factor in that Justin Fields would not be 100% for this game. Seems like he's relatively okay from everything that we've seen and read. Maybe that's some gamesmanship. Maybe it's not. I don't know. But like I talked about, I had Alabama minus 11 and a half in advance of the semifinals if they played Ohio State. So to me, the line overcorrected a little bit. So I liked Alabama at eight, you know, a cheap eight and a half, something like that. Now that we're at nine, I still lean Alabama, but it's not anything where I'm going to go hog wild, do anything super crazy in that situation. One thing I will say about the total here that I think is very interesting is that The full game has come down, as we said already, from 76 into that 74 and a half range. The first half total has not. That still sits at 38. There's been no indication of any sort of under money that has come in from influential bettors that shape the market. This makes a lot of sense to me because when you look at Alabama, specifically look at what they did in the Rose Bowl, they got ahead, they got their burst. And they just kind of sat on it. You know, they played keep away. They didn't show Ohio State anything for the Buckeyes to prep for here for the, uh, you know, of course, I'm sure they thought they'd be facing Clemson, but they didn't tip their hands at all in the second half, really. They didn't do a whole lot offensively. It was a very boring second half in the Rose Bowl up until the point spread drama at the end of the game. So I think there's an element of that where if Alabama has the lead, and they certainly could, as implied by this spread, They will sit on it in the second half. And it's going to be very hard for Ohio State to get stops and get off the field with Alabama probably moving five or six yards at a time. If Ohio State has the lead, then do we just see a steady diet of Sermon or of Teague if he's actually able to play in this game? Do the Buckeyes just play very risk-averse, go into a shell themselves, and just try and maintain and control the clock because they don't want that defense out there against Alabama? So I think that's a really interesting little side plot here from a betting standpoint is the first half total has not moved. The full game total has. And usually we will see those move in concert just so that they kind of align out there in the marketplace. But I think there is a sentiment out there that the first half will be higher scoring than the second half. I think that's a fair assessment to make. I like over 38 for the first half, but I wouldn't touch the full game price. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that that makes a lot of sense. Also, if you look at the side for the first half, it opened Bama minus four. There are a lot of five and a half juice, even a couple sixes out there for Bama laying in the first half. Um, Alabama has been a really good first half team for a long time now. You know, this has been a team that's covered first half numbers where it's hard for the odds makers to even keep up. 
I think if I were taking a first half, I would lean Alabama here. Ohio State has been a pretty good second half team in general. Alabama, you know, if Alabama does get ahead, there's certainly the possibility of a backdoor cover for Ohio State here because they they should be able to move the football. And like you said, I do think um, the first half over, I like a little bit more than the full game over. There are a couple 37 and a halfs. They're juiced pretty heavily, um, you know, on the first half total. 38, you can get it fair juice, um, certainly. So I think over in the first half makes a lot of sense. And I do think I like that a little bit better than the full game over. Like I said, I do lean to the full game over as well. But, um, you know, I, I think that this is a game where Alabama has proven how consistently good they are. And that's why they deserve to be the favorite that they are, because they've been very good every single game. Ohio State has been really good in one game, and that was against Clemson. Are we sure that they're going to put up that kind of effort again? If they do, this is going to be a really good game. Um, we're not sure if they're going to not, you know, as Buckeye fans, I hope we don't see the the team that showed up in the Northwestern game instead of the one that showed up in the Clemson game. And the last thing I'll say here, at least as far as side and total go for this one, then we'll get into a couple of the player props that each one of us like. Ohio State was rumored to have COVID issues. You know, that was something that was all over social media last week. We know that Nick Saban's daughter, Kristen, wound up having to, you know, walk back a tweet and delete it and, and all of that. We saw Ohio State rule some guys out because of COVID prior to the Sugar Bowl against Clemson, and it was basically day of the game news. Pretty, pretty much, what, an hour or two before the game about who was going to be out for Ohio State? So that will be an interesting development here to follow throughout the day. And, I, you know, I'll try to get this show turned around as quickly as I possibly can. But if Ohio State did, in fact, have these COVID issues, they're sure as hell not going to let anything out until they absolutely have to. So that could be a factor here as well in this game of if the COVID issues are true for the Buckeyes, you know, who won't they have? Will it be, you know, an impact skill guy? Will it be somebody on the offensive line? Will it be somebody on defense where, you know, Ohio State's defense isn't good to begin with? It's it's okay. It's not great. You know, will it be somebody who's a key person on the defensive side, which, you know, would be very bad against a team like Alabama? So there's also that where we'll see a lot of money come in on this game once we're sure of where Ohio State stands from a COVID standpoint. And if you start to see some sort of line move that, you know, triggers alarm bells, make sure you're checking the news cycle because it may have something to do with that. Yeah, and um, there are quite a few rumors out there as far as who could be missing this game for Ohio State. It looks like uh, Mayan Williams, the the backup running back, will miss this game. And I'm reading quite a bit that Tyreek Smith will probably miss this game as well. Um, Nothing confirmed, so I I don't want to say that's for sure, but... You know, I, I don't know that Ohio State's going to be missing a lot of guys, but, you know, hopefully it's not a bunch of key guys that could really change the game. I, I, as a fan of Ohio State and the fan of college football, it'd be nice to see these teams as close to full strength as possible so that we get a good final here. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely looking forward to that. Hopefully we get a great game tonight, and hopefully we get some winners here with taking a look at these player props. And before we discuss the ones that we like specifically – there are two very important concepts when it comes to player and game props. The first is you have to shop around for the best lines. You know, I saw, and I wrote about this yesterday at at ATS.io, there was a 19-yard middle between what DraftKings had and what BetMGM and PointsBet had in terms of Justin Fields' passing yards. 290.5 at BetMGM and PointsBet, 309.5 at DraftKings, It was a 15-yard gap between uh, Mac Jones at BetMGM and DraftKings, 365.5 to 380.5. So this is very important. You have to get the best line that you possibly can. Why would you want to bet over 309.5 when you could bet over 290.5 somewhere else? And the second thing is not only the line itself – but also looking at the VIG or the juice or whatever you want to call it here, because all of these sports books will have something different based on what their books look like, based on what, you know, their risk tolerance is. For example, the points bet player props were juiced minus 115 on both sides, pretty much across the board. BetMGM was minus 110 on both sides across the board. So your break-even percentage at minus 110, 52.38%, at minus 115, 
that's why the VIG matters. You know, you really have to win an extra bet out of every 100 laying minus 115 instead of minus 110. So it is critically important to find the best line and the best VIG that you can find. And that may mean, you know, having multiple sportsbook accounts at your disposal. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, never more important to shop around than when you're you're betting on these props. And, you know, I, I was just kind of, as you were talking, looking down through these points bet numbers, um, there, there's a lot of differences from DraftKings and point, points bet across the board as far as the rushing, receiving totals, things like that. Like you said, I mean, you get a 19-yard difference. Um, it's very likely that they could fall in that middle. That's a that's such a wide range. You definitely don't want to take that kind of loss when you could have gotten a win one way or the other. So it's, it's well worth it to shop around. And, um, you know, it also – it also depends on what you think the game state's going to be, right? So if you think Alabama's going to be ahead and trying to milk the clock or something like that, that should change the way you want to bet on a prop. If you think it's going to be back and forth all the way, uh, that changes how many uh, passes each team is going to put up probably as compared to one team will be throwing and one team will be running all the time. So um, definitely really important to shop around. Yeah, it absolutely is. Game state is important, kind of playing out, you know, not even just how you think the game will go, but what you think the offensive game plan will be. You know, we talked about this last week a little bit with Brad Powers in the sense that, you know, for Alabama here, the best part of Ohio State's defense is the defensive line. So running it right at them with Najee Harris, maybe not the smartest thing to do. So maybe a player like Najee Harris winds up being more, you know, in the passing game, something like that. Or, you know, you start looking at Ohio State, you know, Olave is going to get a ton of attention. Does that open something up for other people? Like a Garrett Wilson, for example, who only had five catches in the area. Uh, I think he only had two catches in the game against Clemson. He was not used really at all for the Buckeyes in that game. Maybe this is the kind of game where they use him because Olave gets so much attention. So those are the different kinds of things that I'm looking at. For example, Garrett Wilson receiving yards, 70 and a half was painted pretty much across the market yesterday when I looked at this. I'll take a look at the updated numbers now. But, you know, when you look at somebody like that, like a Garrett Wilson, see, it's already up to 74.5 at DraftKings. That's probably because if I'm handicapping this game, trying to figure out what's going to happen here, I'm thinking Olave gets a ton of attention, bracket coverage, double coverage over the top, something like that. That probably opens up a guy like Garrett Wilson. Still 70.5 at BetMGM, so a four-yard difference. Again, take the best overline, take the best underline. These are common sense things, but people don't really think about them with how overwhelming some of these games are. But that's kind of my thought process of, does Alabama pull a Belichick and try to take one guy away? If they do, it's probably Olave. That creates opportunities for other players. Agree. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, Olave is clearly the best receiver for Ohio State. We saw how much they miss him when he was out of the game. He's the big play guy. It seems like he's the one that Fields wants to look for on those third downs, things like that. But Bama is going to be prepping for that. And you would think that as many receiving options as Ohio State does have, you know, maybe you want to look for for a Wilson one, or maybe you want to look at Ruckert. I think Ruckert has really been a, a nice addition to the offense. Uh, I noticed the differences for his numbers too. Some of them 41 and a half. Uh, points bet as low as 35 and a half on Ruckert over yards. I think over 35 and a half is a pretty good number actually. So what's one that you're looking at? I kind of mentioned, I like Garrett Wilson, you know, over 70 and a half receiving yards. Maybe you'll find some reception props that are out there. Uh, DraftKings has got him. Oh, shit, where is it here? I don't know. Uh, five and a half. You know, if you think Wilson's a big focal point here for the Ohio state offense, over five and a half makes some sense. Furthermore, like we talked about, a game state thing, if the Buckeyes are trailing in the second half and have to throw, this may be a game where Wilson winds up with 11 or 12 targets. You know, something like that. It all depends on how you expect the game to go. And there are a lot of different ways to attack it. So what was a player prop that you were looking at here for tonight? So I'll give one on each side. Ohio State, I'm going to take trade Sermon over rushing and receiving yards combined. This is at DraftKings at 134 and a half. 
Um, I haven't seen this one at other places. So if, if there are no other numbers, um, I don't know of them yet. But most most places just have rushing yards. DraftKings has over 134.5 for rushing and receiving yards combined. I'm going to take the rushing and receiving yards combined. I do think rushing yards over 99.5 is a decent play as well. I like rushing and receiving yards slightly better because I think Ohio State could be trailing in this game. Sermon has shown himself to be a pretty good back out of the backfield. Um, catching the football and Justin Fields may need to get rid of the football pretty quickly here. I think Alabama will bring a lot of pressure in this game. Ohio State's offensive line has been really good blocking in the run game, but they have given up a lot of sacks. And I think one knock on Justin Fields is that he can hold the football a long time. And, and if he does hold the football a long time and needs to dump it off to somebody, I think uh, Sermon is a good option there. So Sermon has been really good. Alabama, I think you can run on them some. And Ohio State's offensive line is a very good offensive line in the rushing game. So I'm going to take Trey Sermon rushing and receiving yards over the total. I like that one. I mean, you know, he has to be a big focal point of this offense. And and also, too, I mean, I think it was surprising how many deep shots Ohio State took in the middle of the field. You know, they were on the 50 and, and they took some deep shots. I don't know if those guys are running free against Alabama. I mean, it's certainly a possibility. Clemson's defense was down a bit this year. You know, just years and years in a row of losing – a bunch of NFL caliber talent. I think it finally caught up with them to a degree. I don't know if guys like Alave or, you know, Williams run free way down the field. So, you know, maybe Sermon is that safety valve, is that dump off option. And also too, uh, you know, I, I saw Dylan Moses was hobbling around going into the stadium. I don't think he played against Notre Dame. Uh, freshman safety for Alabama's hurt as well. So there's some guys in the middle of the field where Ohio State may find that they have some mismatches and may end up liking Sermon, you know, as both a running back and also a receiver out of the backfield. Yeah, absolutely. I think Sermon should get plenty of chances. And we've talked about this off air and on the air that Sermon um, coming on has really made this Ohio State offense different. You know, Teague was not, um, you know, up to the level that a lot of Ohio State running backs have been. Sermon has been tremendous here, and it's really added a lot to this offense. I, I think that um, you know, they have to make him a big part of this game plan if they want to have any chance here. Uh, do you want me to go ahead and give my Alabama one now too? Yeah, go for it. Yeah. So I'm going to go with, um, Jaleel Billingsley over receiving yards. Now, as you were talking earlier and mentioned points bet, I looked up points bet, um, over 41 and a half minus 115 there, um, DraftKings over 44 and a half minus 108. Yeah. Minus 108. Um, you could argue on which one has better value. I would think uh, over 41 and a half minus 115 is a better play because three yards is a, a pretty decent difference when you're talking about that small yardage number. So if you have points bet as an option, I would take over 41 and a half. DraftKings is going to be more widely available. So I'll say 44 and a half over for Jaleel Billingsley. I think that Ohio State's um, weakness on defense, we know the secondary's given up a lot of big plays. Um, the defensive line is the strength of the defense, but I really think the linebackers are probably the weakest area of Ohio State, especially compared to what we're used to seeing from them. Ohio State usually is really stacked at linebacker. They really don't have very good linebackers now. They're not near as fast as they normally are. I think the middle of the field is um, a real possibility to be open here for Alabama. Clemson didn't take advantage of that. I think Alabama is more likely to be able to take advantage of that, and I think Billingsley could um, – really be the recipient of that uh, on the Alabama side. Yeah, I like that one too. Bet MGM 46 and a half. So, you know, 41 and a half at points bet, 46 and a half at MGM, split that down the middle in the 44 and a half range at DraftKings. It, that's why it's really important, you know, to shop around for these things. You know, a guy like Billingsley, who may end up being a safety valve, something like that, you know, I mean, a three yard reception is not out of the realm of possibility, you know? So that's a position, especially being a tight end, where, you know, those few yards matter. You know, a guy like Alave or Devontae Smith or, or somebody like that, you know, we may be talking about big plays. We're talking about receptions that are, you know, 13, 14 yards per catch. But something like Billingsley, you know, those little differences do matter, I think, a whole lot more. So I do like that one. You and I both talked about Ohio State and how slow their linebackers look against elite skill position talent. That's what they get here in this game, and that would be a big worry for me. And I also think that's something that Steve Sarkeesian – will absolutely have seen during the film study of, you know, we can beat Borland and Werner in the pass game. Those guys are two pretty good run-stopping linebackers. 
but chasing dudes around like Billingsley who runs like a wide receiver in a tight end's body, that's a bit bigger of a problem for them. So I do think that's one that does make sense there for Alabama. I mentioned, I think Garrett Wilson's a big part of the game. I also think, and this one's kind of off the beaten path a little bit, maybe a good segue into what we talk about from a college basketball standpoint, Jackson Smith and Jigba for Ohio state. Now he's a freshman and he didn't have a whole lot of catches during the season. In fact, he has eight catches for 29 yards. His line is 10 and a half. And you can get this over 10 and a half at plus money at DraftKings. I've seen it 10 and a half regular juice at BetMGM. But to me, this is one of those things where I try to get in the mind of Ryan Day. And Ryan Day had great success using the tight ends in the red zone, kind of using the tight ends just outside of the red zone in that game against Clemson. That was an adjustment from last season that Clemson didn't see and they clearly weren't ready for it. When I think about Alabama's preparation for this game, they're looking at Olave. They're looking at Wilson. They're trying to figure out how to stop Trey Sermon. Now they have this extra wrinkle of worrying about the tight ends, which means linebacker or safety help. Jackson Smith and Jigba is actually thought to be one of the better route runners for Ohio State. But he's a freshman. He doesn't play every snap. You know, Fields has more of a rapport with Olave and Wilson and, and some of these other guys. But at 10 and a half, this kid's only got to catch one ball to possibly get over this. And I think there's a very good opportunity with so much attention paid to all the other guys that he will be a player that Alabama didn't even acknowledge when it comes to film study. So as long as he's playing, we'll have to make sure that he's not one of the COVID guys or anything like that, because I don't think this line's going to go crazy or you know anyone's going to steam it one way or the other. But I think this kid, Jackson Smith and Jigba, just kind of finds a little spot along the sideline Something like that. Fields has been much better lately about going through his progressions. I think he finds this kid a couple of times, and ten and a half is is not a high number at all. I agree. I like this one, especially you get the plus money at DraftKings. I think that's really nice. Uh, you get that plus one ten. But Smith and Jigba is is a good route runner. The coaches have really talked him up a lot. Um, he's seen a decent amount of playing time at the end of the season as well. He hasn't gotten a ton of targets, but you would think he might be open in some of these um, plays where Fields is trying to keep it alive, like you said. And, you know, maybe it, it just takes that one 12-yard reception or something to keep a drive alive that, that gets him over the total here. I think this is a good one that's kind of under the radar. And like you said, I think this one is, is one where you can wait and see when they announce about seven o'clock. I think it'll be tonight, seven o'clock Eastern, as far as who's going to be out of this game uh, regarding COVID. So I think you can wait on this one, but I think this is a, a nice one to take, especially if you can get that plus money price. I like it. And this is another one too, when you start thinking about game state and, and I don't think Ohio state necessarily gets their doors blown off in this game. But again, as we've talked about already, the line implies that they'll probably be trailing, you know, at some point in this game and, and quite possibly trailing in the second half. If Alabama is going to sit back in, you know, too deep zone or something like that and just keep everything in front of them, Fields is going to have to throw and he's probably not going to have the windows to throw to Olave and Wilson and all that because those are guys everybody knows by number that are going to be called out. If Fields winds up having to throw 40 times in this game, then he's probably going to have to find Smith and Jigba at some point. So there's also that element to it too, of kind of thinking about the game state, sort of thinking about, you know, what Ryan day may do to do something differently, but also if they have to drop back and throw a whole lot, well, you know, then Smith and Jigba is probably a guy that, you know, could have some success there in that department. So I guess the last thing to mention here is, you know, I've called this kind of like a, a test run or sort of a Guinea pig, you know, for these sports books for the Super Bowl. But really, outside of DraftKings, I, I've been very disappointed with the amount of props available in the legal U.S. betting market, and especially in the global offshore market, where I remember a year or two ago, we talked about probably you know 400 or 500 prop bets that were available. We didn't cover each one on the show, obviously, but there were you know over 400 of these things available. And this year, I'm, I'm just not seeing it, and it, it's, it's kind of frustrating and disappointing. Yeah, I'm, I'm surprised. I'm surprised there's no defensive props up. You know, we used to be able to talk about who was going to get how many tackles, uh, how many tackles for a loss, things like that. Not available this year that I've been able to see at all. I'm surprised. I think I'm going to be curious to see what kind of uh, props are available for this weekend's NFL games, because I hope it's not a sign that there's going to be less props available for the Super Bowl as well. I assume the Super Bowl will still have a ton of props. You know, that that's a 
really big deal. A lot of people bet those Super Bowl props, but it is surprising and kind of disappointing that there aren't more to talk about here. Well, an area where we do have a lot to talk about is on the college basketball side as we transition into our handicapping the hardwood segment here. And of course, going forward, maybe we'll talk a little bit of NFL. We'll probably talk some baseball once we get into March and you know all that. But going forward, we will primarily be a college basketball show and or at least a college basketball segment here. And there's certainly a lot to talk about with that, with everything that's going on here around the country. And we'll start as we did last week, taking a look at some injuries, some that people may know about some that people may not know about uh, that I think, you know, will have an impact on these games and these teams. I'm going to start at Cal, uh, Matt Bradley, ankle injury that his coach called pretty serious deal. Um, You know, he set out the last couple games, they keep saying questionable and then it gets downgraded to doubtful. Um, Cal plays the back-to-back double at altitude this week. So I really wanted to bring this one up because those can be some really tough spots So if Cal is without Bradley here again this week, I think they could be a good fade. So I want to pay attention to his status here as we get later in the week because Cal did shoot really well in the last game against Washington. They were just burying threes. I had the under in that game, so not surprising, I guess. But without Bradley, um, they were able to just, you know, look great on offense. Washington's not been very good. Uh, both teams shot it really well in that one. It wasn't even at that, that fast of a pace, but they made a lot of shots. Bradley is their best player, clearly. Without him, I don't think Cal is a team that you want any part of betting. And I think they could be a good fade here as we go to the back-to-back double at altitude if he is out. Yeah, that's Thursday night at Colorado, Saturday at Utah, so out in Salt Lake City. And, you know, we talk about how difficult that is for these college basketball teams, you know, to be in some of those back-to-back altitude spots and stuff like that. And the thing about losing a player, you know, of that caliber in Bradley it's going to force somebody off the bench who doesn't really play, you know, a large percentage of the minutes or a couple of somebody's, you know, into action to where maybe if they play well on Thursday, you kind of look for that hangover on on Saturday. Yeah. I'm, that's what I would hope is that it'd be nice to see um, a good effort on Thursday and, and try to go against them on Saturday. Saturday is the game that I'd rather bet against them if Bradley's going to be out here. So we'll, we'll see. Um, even if he plays, they, they could be a good fade, especially if they play well in, in game one. Danny Pippen at Kent State, he's been practicing once a week or so on average because of his knees. He's had three knee surgeries already. Um, so now he has a back issue as well. He missed last game against Western Michigan. Kent State won the second half 53 to 27, even without him. But Western Michigan is really bad. I think they have the least talent of any team in the MAC. Pippen is a star, and I think Kent State's really going to need him against quality MAC teams. Yeah, and you look at a player like that, and you know something I really like about the team pages over at BartTorvik.com, and, and maybe Ken Palm does this too. I haven't really looked that closely to see, but you can see the usage rate, the usage usage percentage of the individual players on these team pages, and for Pippen, his usage rate is over thirty-one percent, which is very, very high. So a lot of the offense goes through him when he is out there. So that speaks to exactly what you're saying of, you know, how important he is, especially when they're taking on some of the better teams, you know, in this conference. Tuesday night, they play Central Michigan, not a good team at all. After that, Ohio, Buffalo, and Toledo all on the road, three of the better teams here in this conference. That's where Pippen's, you know, absence or at least limited availability could seriously come into play. Absolutely. And um, I think the Mac is pretty wide open. There are a lot of teams that are fairly even Bowling Green, probably the favorite there in the Mac, but there are several teams that have a chance there in the Mac and Kent state is one of them. If Pippen's healthy, if he's not healthy, they won't, they won't be one of the teams to beat. Um, the last one I have, as far as injuries here, I wanted to mention middle Tennessee state because middle Tennessee state is a team that had six guys out of the lineup in their last couple games there against Florida International, including Schuler and Jace Johnson, Dontrell Schuler and Jace Johnson. COVID-related absences um, monitor their status for this week's games. Middle Tennessee changed their pace drastically while they were shorthanded against FIU. This is a team in Middle Tennessee State that was playing extremely fast. They're using three or four more seconds per possession in those two games than what they were in the season. And you know, it's not because FIU slowed anything down. So middle Tennessee state, if these guys continue to be out, I think unders could have value in these middle Tennessee state games. Middle Tennessee state's opponents are shooting 21.3% from three. 
Uh, Middle Tennessee, a bad offensive team, so taking anybody out of the equation, you know, certainly not going to help them. But 21.3% from three. Got to feel like maybe, you know, in terms of our follow fade segment, uh, MTSU could be a little bit of a fade team here for the next little while. I would think so. Yeah, I would I would look to either bet against them or take some unders while those guys are out. In the long run, maybe Middle Tennessee is a good team to back or, or play overs with, but not with this going on. All right, so we take a look at some regression candidates here, whether these are, you know, individual stats or just maybe some teams that, you know, may kind of fall off the pace a little bit here. I noticed a couple that were kind of interesting. Uh, Coastal Carolina, in seven Division I games, according to Bart Torvik's website, barttorvik.com, T-O-R-V-I-K. Coastal Carolina has not allowed a dunk yet in the seven games that they've played. Teams are shooting 44.4% of their field goal attempts from outside the arc. So I look at Coastal Carolina and I kind of wonder, you know, how sustainable is this for them? I mean, is it about the style of defense that they play that, you know, are they playing a zone where they just don't let people inside and, and force teams to shoot over them? Yeah, I want to look into this a little bit more because I'm really surprised um, that they would be giving up that many shots like that and nothing by the rim. I I don't think in the past they've been a team that's played very much zone. I know Cliff Ellis in um, the past at Auburn was a guy that would mix in zone. I I don't think Coastal Carolina has played very much zone, but I want to look closer at this one. I think that's pretty a fascinating stat with uh, not giving up a dunk all all that time. I know that they do have a couple shot blockers, um, you know, and, and they have a decent amount of height, not a really tall team, but I think honestly, to be, to be truthful with you, I don't think coastal Carolina is that good of a defense. And to me, they're a team I'd rather take an over with than an under. So actually I look at their Sunbelt numbers and they're giving up 0.96 points per possession in the Sunbelt. I think they'll get worse on defense. So I think they could be a bit of a regression candidate there on defense. A couple of other teams that I saw in that same boat, uh, as far as not giving up dunks go, uh, Vermont and Albany, both from the America East Conference. So is, is that just a conference where maybe there's just not a, a whole lot of play at the rim? Yeah, I, America East is not one of them that I would call myself a great expert on. You know, I try to pay more attention to some of the smaller conferences than others. I will say that America East Conference, uh, I do think, is a conference where there's a lot of threes taken. Um, not very many good offenses in that conference either. So you see a lot of low scoring games, but still surprising to not have given up a dunk in that many games. Now, one of the ones that you were talking about here, we'll just kind of go back and forth with some of the regression metrics that, you know, we've each come up with here for today's show. Uh, IUPUI is a team that you're taking a look at, um, you know, sort of looking at their defense to regress a little bit. Is it going to go in a positive way or in a negative way? I think it's going to go in a negative way. Last year, they were 344th in defensive efficiency. This year, they're 287th. And I know that's not good. So I'm not trying to say their defense has played really well. But last year, they forced they forced 17.1% of opponents' possessions to end in a turnover. This year, 23.2%. I don't think they're playing a defense that's really aggressive or something that's going to cause that kind of many, many turnovers in the long run. So I think their turnover rate is going to get worse. And teams are going to shoot a good percentage against them. They've proven it time after time that they cannot guard beyond the arc. They give up a lot of close twos. I think IUPUI's defense is going to get worse. So I'd like to fade this team or take overs with this team. I want to circle back to something that we talked about a few shows ago. Maybe it was a month or so ago now. You were talking about one of the stats over at Haslam Metrics and talking about you know shot selection for teams where – College basketball is getting more analytical. It's kind of becoming more like the NBA. A lot of stuff at the rim and a lot of threes. So one thing that I noticed here, Southern Miss, and Southern Miss is a very, you know, they're, they're not a good team. You look at their statistical profile. It's not very good. They're also one of the slowest tempo teams in the country. But I found something interesting with them that on close twos per Bart Torvik, so basically two-pointers at the rim, you know, within five feet, stuff like that. They are 60 for 94 on the season, which is excellent, but that's only a 19.7% share of their field goal attempts. And that's the lowest in the nation. So they do well in there, but they don't go in there very often. And they're a very bad jump shooting team. So what do you sort of make of a situation like that with a team like Southern Miss? Offhand, do you see what, uh, what's their rate on how many threes they've taken? Oh, let me check that real quick here. They are at 32.4%. So they don't take a lot of threes either. 
Yeah, I was going to say, it looks like from Haslametrics, they're taking a lot of mid-range jumpers, which to me is a negative. So you're taking, a, you want the, basically a lot of people are calling it now the the rim and three rate. So you want something at the rim or a three-point shot. Um, they're not good at that. So to me, this is an offense that's going to continue to struggle. I think that, you know, uh, the fact that they've only taken that many is what really stands out to me as far as close twos. You know, it looks like you're actually good at that and uh, you still haven't taken very many. To me, it looks like Southern Miss is a team that is just really weak on offense. If you if you look back the last few games against UTEP, the game that went into overtime, they scored 60 points in regulation. The next game, 62, and then 60 and 58. They're pretty consistently bad on offense. So I, I continue to think that um, Southern Miss could be a good underplay. They could also be a good play against if they're playing a team that's going to score quite a few points. All right, so let's stay in Conference USA. We go from Southern Miss to UTEP, and you want to talk about their offense a little bit here. Yeah, I think their offense is going to get worse. Their their turnover percentage on offense was 22.7% two years ago. They were 19.6% last year. So they improved, and I think it's fair to say that maybe they've improved a little bit more. But their 14.5% turnover rate on offense this year. This offense has been far more efficient. Uh, this year overall. And I I think that that's going to worsen as the season goes. I think they're probably better, but not this much better. In fact, if you look at UTEP this past weekend, one of the more surprising games uh, that I saw from this Friday night, January 8th, was a 101 to 89 win for UTEP over Rice. That game was 68 possessions. UTEP scored 1.49 points per possession. Uh, That is next level good. And I think that we're going to see some pretty good regression signs out of this UTEP team that when they play good defenses, and it looks to me like they're playing a couple good defenses in North Texas and Louisiana Tech coming up, UTEP's offense is going to look worse than what they did here recently. So uh, I like UTEP to be a team that regresses. There we go. A little bit of a short-term fade then. So keep that in mind here. The UTEP miners look like a pretty good fade uh, in a couple of their upcoming games. I want to update something I talked about a few weeks ago here with regards to South Alabama. And we talked about the percentage of three-point attempts taken against them. 59.5% of shots against South Alabama have been threes. And they're giving up better than 37% of those. And they're a bad two-point defense as well. Opponents at about 56%. This is one where South Alabama's offense is okay. But four of their seven wins have come against lower division teams. They've been blown out by double digits in their last three games. The Sun Belt's not a bad conference. It's not a great conference, but it's not a bad conference. I think South Alabama, if they keep allowing a three-point rate like this, and it seems like they're going to, they may be something of a fade team here going forward as well. Yeah, I don't like this team. I think that um, their defense is really weak in general. And like you said, if you're giving up that many threes, you don't want opponents to be shooting that good. I mean, 37 point some percent is too good for college basketball and you're getting three points instead of two, you're getting open looks and Southern um, this, this is a team where South Alabama, you know, I think their offense is pretty good. So I could see taking overs with them, but I don't want any part of backing them to me. They're a team that uh, is almost unbettable based on their defense this year. You know, it's almost like we know what we're doing on this show because there's a pretty good segue here, speaking of three-pointers, to talk about the next one that you had in terms of regression, looking at the Citadel. Yeah, I mean, what what better segue could you give than than that to talk about the Citadel? We all love Duggar Bauckham's run-and-gun offense, Chuck the three. It's unique. I like unique offenses. This team's shooting 40.5% from three, though. They were 33.5 and 32.4 the last two years. Citadel has played a terrible schedule, 341st, according to Ken Pomeroy. They're going to regress a lot on offense. And I think the Citadel um, is a team that is going to pile up some losses soon. And based on what their record is coming into this, uh, the Citadel could be a regression candidate in general. The only thing I will say is I think the odds makers do know that the Citadel is not great, even at this point, because they, they have played a terrible schedule, a lot of really weak teams. So it's going to be interesting to see what their line is here in a couple of these games, because the Citadel is about to play some quality teams. Furman at home this week, uh, and then even when they go play Mercer and Samford and Wofford, teams like that, I think the Citadel uh, will regress a lot on offense. At the same time, their defense is very weak. 
So um, maybe you see a little bit lower scoring games. I wouldn't be excited to take a Citadel under though. One last regression point I want to touch on here real quickly. Colorado is shooting 85.6% at the free throw line. The number one team in the country last year was 79.8%. There are nine teams higher than that right now. Colorado, Lafayette from the Patriot League, Akron, Portland, Bucknell, VMI, Chattanooga, Detroit, and Pepperdine. But Colorado is 4% better than anybody else in the nation at the free throw line. So it's not going to continue. It's going to regress simply because, I mean, look, it's so far out of the realm of what the top team was in the country last year. So that's something you may want to keep in mind with Colorado if they're in kind of that falling range favorite area of, you know, between four and eight points or so. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely not going to be nine teams finish above that rate in free throw percentage. And Colorado is too high, but their guys that get to the line a lot are very good at free throws. So I think they'll continue to be very good at it, but uh, not that good. So as we recap here, sort of looking at some of the regression teams, you know, Southern Miss, a team that we're looking to fade, South Alabama, a team we're looking to fade a little bit, UTEP, also a team where we should have some fade opportunities, and the same thing with the Citadel. So again, regression generally going to be more negative than positive for us on this show, but those are some of the teams that you want to look to play against here over the next little while. You know, I mentioned Haslam metrics and I mentioned talking about, you know, shot selection and some of the benefits you can find with that sort of looking for some matchup advantages. There's another stat here from Haslam metrics. And again, that's H A S L A M E T R I C S Haslam metrics. Other stat you want to mention here on today's show. Yeah. And this is looking at potential quick points off breakaway seals. And if you look on Haslam metrics site, it's P P S T. Um, so you're looking at, points off a steal, um, potential quick points off breakaway seals versus the average opponent per 100 trips up court. So the bigger the number, the better you are at converting seals into quick scores. If you look at a team like um, VCU, St. John's, Oregon, teams that use pressure, they're the teams that are going to be ranked higher in this. And I think this can be a really good stat to look at if you're handicapping a game in in which one team is known as a very aggressive defense. Maybe they're using a full court press or a trap or something like that. Because there are some teams, some that come to mind for me, uh, St. John's, Coppin State, Merrimack, teams like that, if you want to go under the radar, that really need to create some of these quick transition opportunities because if they get set in a half-court offensive set, they're really bad. So they have to maximize these transition um, opportunities. And yeah, you want to see their opposition, how good are they at avoiding giving up those um, quick points off breakaway uh, after a steal? So I think this is a really good one to use if you're looking at a game where you think one team is a pressure defense. Um, And it's something that's different than what you'll see at other websites. That's why I wanted to bring it up. Yeah, that's exactly where I was going to go is everybody knows Ken Palm, you know, and, and, and the markets are largely shaped by what's at Ken Palm. That's not true of a site like Haslam Metrics, where you can find some good opportunities, some good edges from those statistical deep dives to really look into where some of these teams may have some matchup advantages. You know, it's, it's a lot like when you think about college football, you know, everybody reads Phil Steele's magazine. You know, all the odds makers, all the sharp betters out there read Bill Connolly and know about the S&P. If you can find other resources that, you know, are kind of under the radar, like sort of why we talk so much about Torvik and why now we're talking a lot more about Haslam metrics. These things are really beneficial for you. And I think this is an excellent one. I like this one quite a bit too, because it's so different from everything else and not very many people know about it. You know, obviously there's going to be some more people know about it now since we brought this up, but I think that's great. You know, I want people to know um, who are listening to this show to be able to try to be sharper betters. Um, I think this is the kind of stat that can give you a little bit of an edge that most people don't have. So that's what we're trying to do is give you that little bit extra. All right. So let's take a look at some fade and follow teams here. And I guess I'll go ahead and start with one that, you know, I'm kind of wondering, I want to get your take on this one as a fade team. The Cleveland State Vikings, you know, I mean, this is a team that really bottomed out over the last couple of years, but Dennis Gates doing a phenomenal job here with this team. They are 8-0 so far in horizon play, but they step up in class here this week. They play right State. One of the big things about Cleveland State that I noticed is that they are not a good defensive rebounding team. Wright State, year in and year out, very good on the offensive glass. Kind of feel like maybe Wright State here in this back-to-back later in the week 
uh, would be a good play against Cleveland State. I like Cleveland State a lot as a fade candidate. When when you sent that over, I really like that one a lot. I think Cleveland State is a good team. They're certainly improved. But if you look at who they've played so far, really only the ones that impress me much are the wins over Youngstown State. I think Youngstown State's a pretty good team. Their other wins, not all that good. And if you go back and look at their non-conference, they lost 101 to 46 to Ohio. I think that was the game where Ohio had like a, I don't know, was it 30 something to nothing run or something like that. Uh, Cleveland State can't be too good of a team if, if they were blown out that badly. And Wright State, like you said, looks like a good team to play against Cleveland State here because Wright State really crashes the offensive boards. They have uh, Loudon Love, a really good offensive rebound, a really good scorer down in the post. I, I don't think Cleveland State matches up well against them at all. Yeah, those are Friday and Saturday games. Torvik's look-ahead line is Wright State minus nine. We'll see what the market comes out with, but do think those are two good opportunities there to go against Cleveland State in that one. Who's another fade team that you're looking at here? And, and this one's a little more higher profile. Yeah, I'm going to take Houston. And this is a short-term fade because I like Houston's team. I think they're a good team. Seven and four ATS so far this year. They're a very good team. I think they're going to be a little bit um, overpriced in the marketplace now, though. This Houston defense is excellent, but opponents have missed a lot of easy shots if you look at uh, Houston's profile this year. They foul a lot. Houston does. Their opponents are going to be on the line a lot. When you foul as much as they do, I don't like laying a huge number. You know, if you're taking minus 15 or minus 17 against a team that um, Houston is going to have the opposition in the double bonus more times than not. So if you're playing a team that can shoot free throws against Houston, getting points, I think you could have some good value uh, if you fade Houston laying those big prices. All right, so I'll let you take the floor first here then in terms of a follow team, a play-on team, since there's been a lot of negativity here so far on our college basketball segment. Who are you looking to follow? Who do you think is going to have some value as sort of a buy-low candidate? Yeah, we do need some positive on the show here. We do, so, don't uh, we? Arkansas State, 1-5 ATS. I think Mike Bellato is a pretty good coach. And look, Arkansas State's been terrible so far this year, but we know that they don't play in a, a conference that that really very good you know we, we love the fun belt but Arkansas State plays in a conference where they're going to play quite a few weak teams they have several positive regression signs in their stat profile um, you know block shots on the, the shots that they take almost 17 percent of their shots getting blocked um, horrible I mean that's that's almost unheard of uh, Arkansas State is going to play better than they have so far this year I know they had a couple games canceled because Texas State had some COVID issues but Arkansas State's going to be catching points here going forward. I think they could be a good buy-low candidate here at this point. I'll throw out a buy-low candidate here. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this one. But I noticed that Charlotte over the weekend lost to lower division Belmont Abbey in overtime 75-72. Now, this was on the heels of playing two very close games against Western Kentucky. One they lost by four, one they won by four in overtime. This, to me, is sort of like that FCS angle in college football where a team loses a game early on that they shouldn't. Like Iowa State, I mean, we were buying Iowa State low after they got beaten pretty comfortably by Louisiana early on in the year, made some good money on the Cyclones. This feels to me like Charlotte, you know, if people noticed, and of course it was, you know, during an NFL playoff Saturday and all that, if people noticed, they may have a sour opinion here of Charlotte, but this is a team that's actually played really, really well, has a couple of nice wins, that Western Kentucky win and one over Davidson. They played a lot of close games too, where their opponents are shooting 82.8% from the free throw line. I think Charlotte's kind of a play on team. I like this one too. Uh, I'll be honest, as you're talking about this, I'm over here looking up Belmont Abbey basketball to try to see how they've played against, which I I just wanted to say that because I want listeners to know that, you know, behind the scenes, that's what I'm doing when Adam's talking about this under the radar. I'm I'm wondering, you know, who the hell is Belmont Abbey? You know I mean? So I'm looking up Belmont Abbey basketball to see who they've played against and how they've done. They've only played a couple of other games, uh, a win, by one point over UNC Pembroke, which I know we all know a lot about UNC Pembroke. So 68-67 win over them, and they're the number 22 ranked team uh, there in that division. To be honest, I think that's a pretty bad loss for Charlotte. And like you said, you would think that that could be a good spot to buy on them afterwards. Hopefully people did notice that. Um, I think even in these games against UAB, they could be a good back because UAB has played a pretty weak schedule this year think their record is not 
indicative of how good they are. In fact, UAB is 343rd according to Ken Palm and uh, schedule so far this year. So, and they've only played one game on the road. So I feel like you might've just uh, talked me into a strong lean here for later this week. All right, there we go. Sounds good. Let's talk about some other games that we may have some thoughts on here as we go throughout the week. And we start on Tuesday night, Wisconsin and Michigan. You know, we, we talk a lot of under the radar stuff, but you know what? Sometimes the big boys need some love here on the show as well. And, and obviously this is a huge clash in the Big Ten on Tuesday. Yeah, and I'll keep this one quick because I don't really have any, um, you know, strong betting angle on this one. I just wanted to throw out that Michigan has been really good so far this year. Um, Hunter Dickinson has really been the difference for them. Seven foot one, 255. He's a big guy that has been far better than anybody could have expected him to be so far this year. And I do think that Jawan Howard has been really good as a coach there. I, I think that um, most people didn't think that he'd be a great hire. He has been so far. Michigan's been very good. Wisconsin's a tricky matchup for them. And I, I think that, you know, this is a spot where Michigan could could get upset and it wouldn't stun me. Um, I don't want to bet on it. I, I think that, you know, maybe under would be my lean in this game. I know that uh, Michigan's had some really high scoring games and even Wisconsin's been a little bit higher than normal. I think Wisconsin's going to be good at slowing this tempo down and making it a bit uncomfortable for Michigan here in this one. Michigan's basically plus 23% in two point offense versus defense, 62% on offense, 39.1% against on defense. I, that is astonishing, to say the least. One other game I want to mention quickly here on Tuesday. We talked about the MAC a little bit. Eastern Michigan and Toledo play on Tuesday night. And this one's fascinating to me. Eastern Michigan, 52nd in three-point rate. So percentage of field goal attempts coming from three-point land. They are 52nd in the nation. Toledo is 28th. So Toledo takes a ton of threes. Eastern Michigan takes a ton of threes. The difference is... Toledo's hit 11.3% more of their three-point shots. They're at 38.5%. Eastern Michigan, 27.2%. This feels to me like a game where Toledo could get some margin here, you know, if their season-long averages kind of play out. Because Eastern Michigan's not going to shy away from shooting threes. They just don't really make a whole lot of them. Yeah, I like this one, too, because... Eastern Michigan plays that matchup zone, the Syracuse matchup zone defense. They're going to give up a lot of threes. They're also going to give up a lot of offensive rebounds. So uh, Toledo pretty good at that as well. So if they miss those shots, they get the offensive rebound. They could be at the line quite a bit where they shoot almost 78%. You would think Toledo matches up pretty well against a team like Eastern Michigan. So you're probably going to have to lay double digits in this game, but I think that'd be pretty fair. I think Toledo will probably win this game by a decent margin. Then we got a game here, a couple of games on Thursday night, just to finish up the show real quickly. Uh, we'll talk about the one that you've got here first. Austin P and UT Martin, as we get back to our bread and butter of going well under the radar. Well, if you have an ESPN Plus subscription, you can watch this one. Uh, is this a premium look ahead? Is that why you're interested in this game? It is, yeah. I like Austin P in this one. I think Austin P laying the points is a good look. Tennessee Martin is a really bad team. I think they're going to get blown out by a lot of teams in the OVC. Ohio Valley Conference is not a great conference, but there are some pretty good teams at the top and really weak teams at the bottom. Um, Tennessee Martin's going to lose by margin a lot of times this year. Austin P has not been quite as good as you would expect so far this season, but Austin P matches up really well against Tennessee Martin. Last year, Austin P won by 11 at Tennessee Martin. This is a Martin team that is even worse than last year, definitely worse on offense, and they're just as bad on defense. Austin P is going to be able to score very easily in this game. Uh, Ken Palm has this one at eight. I hope this one comes out at eight for Austin P. If so, I'll be on Austin P in this one. Torvik minus 7.8. So maybe you do get an eight here. And this is a continuation of something you talked about last week on the show with UT Martin as a fade team because of where they ranked in luck factor by Ken Palm. And also because they hadn't played any good offenses and we're still giving up almost 1.13 points per possession. So kind of a continuation there. I apologize for doing so poorly with the time today. I know you've got a split, but I want to ask you about this real quickly. Thursday and Friday, San Diego State and Utah State. Utah State, 6-0 and in Mountain West play so far. Average margin of victory, 33.3 points per game. They've beaten San Jose State twice, Air Force twice, New Mexico twice. But when they've stepped up in class, they've lost to VCU, lost to South Dakota State, lost to BYU. They played the 239th ranked schedule. 
San Diego State, the 69th ranked schedule. Interesting back-to-back here uh, in Logan Thursday and Friday. Yeah, you know, Utah State's a team I really like, and I, I this kind of reminds me, which uh, I, I hate to hate to bring this up, but it reminds me of a few weeks ago when I said that Utah State would be a good team to back in coming weeks, and I believe they've won, like, what, six or seven games in a row against the spread, and I haven't bet on them in a single one of those games. So um, that, that one stings a little bit. But I, I have to say that I, I think Utah State's a team I'd rather bet on than bet against they have a really good home home court advantage based on being at altitude. San Diego State, I don't know if they're quite as good as what some people think they are. At the same time, like you said, they played a much tougher schedule. I think this is one of those where if San Diego State wins that first game, I'd really like to bet on Utah State in the second game. So maybe uh, see what happens in that first game here because – um, we've seen a lot of the first team um, that wins and covers in game one struggles in game two. So I think that sets up as one where I might like Utah State in game two in this one. Well, again, Thursday and Friday. So we'll revisit this on next Monday's show with Kyle Hunter, professional better and handicapper from huntersportspicks.com. And what's the word over at the website right now, my friend? You can head over to huntersportspicks.com. You can check out my premium packages there. Sign up for the free picks newsletter if you haven't already. And uh, also follow me on Twitter at Kyle Hunter Picks. I'm going to be coming out with a way that people can get some of my plays for free a little bit more for a longer period of time or uh, some special offers coming out here soon. So stay tuned for that at Kyle Hunter Picks on Twitter and go to huntersportspicks.com for the free pick newsletter. Kyle Hunter, always a treat to chat with you, man. I'm sure you and I will be blowing up each other's phones during the national championship game tonight. Thanks so much for all the insight on today's show. And we'll talk to you again next week. All right. Thanks, man. Take care. There you go. There's Kyle Hunter, professional better and handicapper from huntersportspicks.com at Kyle Hunter picks on Twitter. Coming up on Tuesday, I will gloat about my pizza wings and beer over Brian blessing from that Ravens and Titans game. Then we'll talk about the divisional round matchups. We'll talk some golf. And we'll preview the other two divisions in advance of the NHL's opening night on Wednesday. That'll do it for me. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. And I will talk to you again tomorrow.